0: I'm going to get started here. Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and of course, for salespeople who are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is part of our Sales Leaders Talk Sales series, where we talk to experts about growth and what they've learned about sales and marketing. This is Rebecca Toomey, and today I'm talking to Jamie Shanks. Jamie is the CEO of Sales for Life, the world's largest digital selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. Sales for Life has trained over 100,000 sales and marketing professionals in dozens of industries, and Jamie's workshops have been delivered across six continents for brands such as Microsoft, Thomson Reuters, Oracle, American Airlines, and Intel. Jamie is also the author of a few books, his most recent called Spear Selling, the ultimate account-based sales guide for the modern digital sales professional. And I will post a link in the show notes so you can check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 149 jamie thank you so much for being here today
1: rebecca thanks so much for the invite
0: yeah this is awesome i'm really excited to share really with our audience all this wisdom that you have because you've got a lot Hundred thousand sales professionals that is a lot of people to have kind of gone through this experience with you so let's start from the beginning can you share a little bit more about how you got to where you are today
1: Well, I was a vice president of sales at a SaaS software as a service company in Toronto, Canada, and this is 2009. So imagine, throughout my 20s, I was a a salesperson in a variety of different industries. And I had this light bulb idea that I wanted to start a consulting company and help other sales professionals create sales pipelines is typically the biggest challenge they have mm-hmm. and a strength that I always had. Mm-hmm. Long of the short is I started this consulting firm January 4th, 2010, and 18 months later, I was getting ready to file for bankruptcy. Wow. I was getting ready to file for bankruptcy because I didn't eat my own dog food. I had a terrible <laughs> sales pipeline. I had no online presence. And this was three days before my wedding. Um, ultimately, three days before my wedding, after about 18 months in the business, I went into the office, one of my few remaining customers and a federal police officer was standing behind the door so in canada they're known as the royal canadian mounted police and that company got caught with fraud and embezzlement owed me thirty-five thousand us dollars all the money in the world to me and uh, it basically imploded my consulting business and there's mm. a longer story to this but through the wreckage i needed to self-discover a new way of business development mm, that wow. the telephone and email was not offering Mm -hmm. And I pioneered a topic called social selling. So fast forward six, seven years later, and we're the de facto standard on that topic.
0: That is awesome. Wow, what a story. You know, I was just reading a quote earlier from um, Henry Kaiser, who's an uh, original American shipbuilder. And it was something about, his quote was, problems are just opportunities in work clothes, basically. And it sounds like this was totally for you, this Kind of implosion for you was a huge opportunity for you to rebuild yourself and to really take a look at what was important and what you needed to be doing, right?
1: Now, at the time, I didn't see it as an opportunity. <laughs> I saw it, holy crap, I can't eat right now. Yeah, <laughs> I have no yeah. my wife is going to be supporting us for the next couple of years. But I basically discovered, only looking at this, like if I had a time machine, I look back <laughs> and I realize that um, there's two paths of life. There are people that are willing to evolve you know basically it's fight versus flight Mm -hmm. so i was willing to evolve knowing i just got kicked in the teeth but there are so many people that would just revert their head back into the turtle shell and say to hell with this i'm going to go back to what i was doing and that's one of the signs of an entrepreneur you know maybe it was being naive but i thought that i could do this and i just stuck with it
0: Mm Well, good for you for recognizing it. And I, I totally hear where you're coming from. In the moment, <laughs> we don't see it the quite the same way. <laughs> it seems...
1: <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> a, it's a lot more painful when it's happening, for sure. Well, I'd love to learn a little bit more about where your passion for sales began. I actually used to ask this question early on in the podcast, and I'm going to kind of ask it in a new way, is do you have a, a memory or a story of when you first were introduced into sales or where you first made a sale or were selling. You know, some people like to talk about when they were kids and that experience and how that kind of catapulted them later. But, you know, others of us don't get started in, in it until our careers, so.
1: Yeah, I have two childhood memories of it. Um, so I grew up, my parents were uh, federal employees. My father was a geologist in the oil business working for the federal government. My mom was a neonatal nurse. And so neither of them are entrepreneurs but they one thing that they gifted me was they, they a yes was came with every question I asked or every demand came with a yes try it fail and they would let me do anything mm-hmm. and so I remember in maybe grade 7 or 8 I wanted to make extra money and I woke up in the middle of the night and I made Bristol board kind of signs about a car wash that I would run in <laughs> front of our driveway. And our driveway had enough throughway traffic going by the main street. And my dad let me go with it. You know, I took all of the supplies from the garage and I started this little <laughs> car wash. I would wave cars into the road. And then later in high school I actually started a landscaping company that did quite well. It employed all of my friends, my brother. I bought the truck, I had the you know the lawnmower and the whipper snipper. And my, my, my father, this is a kind of a funny story, he came home from work one day early, it was two, three in the afternoon, and I'm sitting by the pool you know, on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And my dad looks at me, and he's like, what are you doing? You have 30 lawns to cut today. And I said, well, I don't have 30 lawns. I have Casey, my brother, Mark, Rob, I have all these guys cutting my grass, all the lawns. They split 50% of the fees with me and they get to use my equipment. And you could tell he was so mad but so proud at the same time that I discovered profit and scale. (laughs) I didn't cut the grass. I'd make my younger brother do it all, and he'd give me 50% of the rate.
0: Oh, that is genius. Wow, what an entrepreneur you are, (laughs) even from a young age. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow, I love that story. You know, we always – I hear stories of – lawn businesses, but you really took it to the next level because you were, you're right, you didn't just do it yourself. You learned how to scale it up and you had employees, man. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I even have another lawn business that happened later in life. So when I was 28, 27, 28, I decided to quit my job at a software company. And I actually started Canada's. And you can still find it deep in the wild web. You can find photos of I started a company called EcoCut, which was Canada's very first zero emissions. This is when the green movement, 2007-2008 was very prevalent. Okay. Zero emissions landscaping company. What that meant was we had smart cars that actually towed uh, lithium ion battery powered lawnmowers, whippersnippers, everything. Zero emissions and any emission we did create, we offset. Using like bullfrog power, you know those uh, carbon offsetting tax kind of places. Anyways, long of the short, we did three hundred thousand dollars in our first year. I took off from Christmas until April. I went door to door every day for four months in the cold. We bought fifty thousand door flyers, and I rang fifty thousand doorbells, put flyers on people's doors, and talked to old ladies and and you know parents and moms every single day for four months to convince them to transition from their existing landscaping business to us. Okay. To cut the grass. And um, yeah, so the landscaping businesses are a great entry point.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. How did, now, how did the marketplace take that? I mean, obviously today in today's day and time, I feel like people would be all about it and really excited. But in 2007, that was probably a pretty new concept to a lot of people.
1: People loved it. I mean, so the movement, I live in Toronto, Canada, the movement, the green movement, this is, you know, you gotta remember, this is almost like the uh, Al Gore time period. True, true, Uh, okay. It was almost like the first inflection point of the green movement. And at the same time, uh, my value proposition was simple. Whatever you're being charged today by um, whatever the the vendor you're using will match it or beat it. And you get to feel good about your carbon footprint. So we did $300,000 in a year, wow. the average, the ACV, the average contract value of landscaping, uh, cutting grass is $1,000 a year. So that's a lot of customers.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Do you still own that company today?
1: No. That, I mean, there's a whole other side story. But after a year, I ended up selling my shares to my other business partners. and. I just moved on. I uh, I didn't really think through the winter months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
0: okay. Okay. Well, you got to switch it over to snow blowing in the winter, right?
1: (laughs) If if there was such a thing then as zero emissions snow blowing, I would have done.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit to today. And as your career has kind of grown and developed, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned?
1: From a sales perspective, one of the most important lessons that I learned was around time management of selecting the the accounts that I target, and it actually became the foundation of one of the methodologies we created called the sphere of influence. And ultimately what that meant was, if you looked at the average seller, all that they do is they pull up a list out of a newspaper or the ink magazine, or they pull up a vertical and they say, I'm going to call every company in the airline industry but they never really thought through their competitive advantages in certain accounts. And so what the sphere of influence does is it reverse engineers your existing customer base and identifies who as people have moved on from those companies or are interrelated to those companies that give you a competitive advantage in a new account. Ultimately, account selection changed my business and has changed you know, the 300 global companies around the world that we work with. Mm-hmm. Just focusing on accounts that have what we call asymmetrical competitive advantages of relationships in them that you could leverage. And It changed my sales career.
0: Awesome. Very, very good tip and what an awesome lesson to learn. Now in sales, what do you think that it takes to be successful?
1: I think it takes um, somebody that is humble. Uh, So somebody that's confident. Very humble. I sometimes if if I were to if I could have had a log book with me over the last seven years, just with sales for life as an example. Mm -hmm. And there was a a ledger. Column on the left would be successes that I've had, and column on the right might be failures. Mm -hmm. I guarantee my failure column is four times larger than my success column. Mm -hmm. It just happens that the the wins, the successes that I have are exponentially larger than the failures. That's the only reason that I'm still around. Mm -hmm. But I think that the seller needs to feel confident in themselves, because people buy from people. Yes. Forget what your product is. You are selling you first. But at the same time, humble to realize you don't have all the answers. Your sales process needs to evolve every quarter or six months. You Mm -hmm. should always be learning. And that people are going to give you opportunities to learn and you better take them.
0: Definitely. Awesome. Now, this month, we are talking about storytelling and how it can transform conversation. So I'd love to jump, to jump to this topic for a minute. Jamie, do you believe that storytelling is an important part of effective selling?
1: It's actually one of the frameworks inside our sales methodology. Beautiful. You, the, the most important step before you're going to engage a customer. Okay, so imagine you, you've identified the account you want to target. You've, you've created a plan conversation starters of triggers, referrals, insights, competitive intelligence. You need to write a framework for your conversations as if you were writing a book script or a movie script, like Mm -hmm. acts in a play. Mm -hmm. You actually jot down what are the three to five to seven stories I'm going to tell this customer over the next X number of weeks or months. Mm -hmm. One of the failures that sellers have is, okay, I'm going to target Coca-Cola up the phone or they write an email and it's just verbal diarrhea it it doesn't have any value it doesn't have any a logic of why you're telling that story to that person and Mm -hmm. then on touch point number two three four five it's the same thing over and over storytelling is critical you you need to sit down draw out your script A, a script i mean like the plays in a movie or the scenes in a movie and then Craft a story around those. Um, anyways, I might be rambling here, but <laughs> no, not at all. That's awesome.
0: You're giving great tips for- right now. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm like, keep going, keep going.
1: <laughs> we for our customers, we have the sellers that we work with create five storyboards before they even start, and those storyboards are driving towards an outcome. So, I'll, I'll give you examples of them. Storyboard number one. Is the story might be around what we call the spare of points, the interconnectivity between you, the customer, and our own customer database and how we're all interrelated. Okay. If that story doesn't work, we might move on to a competitive benchmarking story that actually plots you against your competitors and best in class. If that one doesn't work, we might work on a market trend story that talks about where your role is going to be in the year 2025. If that story doesn't work, you can see where I'm going, right? Mm-hmm. We've got all of these different stories to tell if the if the previous one didn't resonate with you. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Totally. That's such a great way to do it. And I, I definitely agree with you about this idea of having scripts and planning ahead of time. Um, what we do here internally is we theme our months and we have monthly themes where every month we're solving a problem for our audience for our buyer personas. And so part of that is what is our story? What story are we sharing or multiple stories? So that could be another way of squeezing that in there. Now, Jamie, do you, do you have any ideas for what our listeners can do to become better storytellers?
1: Great question. Um, I think that one of the things that sales professionals don't do is create and we we create something inside our own customers called the IP transfer loop so that stands for intellectual property transfer loop. the reality is the best intellectual property in a company sits inside the minds of sales professionals who hear it falls in objections over the phone they hear stories in boardrooms they have stories from the road or being a road warrior imagine if you the individual seller who might work from home or might work remote could actually learn from your peers about, tell me about what happened last week on that customer meeting. Tell me about when a customer in a boardroom shot you down or, or had an, object, an objection. What was that objection? How did you overcome it? If they could get together on a cadence, of even once a month, and talk openly about what they're hearing from the road, I think that they could, as a collective unit, craft a much stronger story than one individual. So it's the concept of Aristotle's definition of synergy. The definition mm-hmm. of synergy is the whole is greater than someone's parts. And if you, as a collective sales unit, could talk through all of those pitfalls, challenges, objections, best practices, I think as a collective unit, you'll come up with a better story.
0: Awesome. Love it. Love that. That's great advice. Now, I mentioned in the intro, you're an author, and you've authored a few books, actually. And your most recent book came out two months ago, I believe, and it's titled Spear Selling, the Ultimate Account-Based Sales Guide for the Modern Digital Sales Professional. Okay. First of all, what sparked this book?
1: Well, I wrote uh, Social Selling Mastery in 2016, which was the framework at that time of our core training program and the purpose at that time was to introduce sales professionals and marketers and sales leaders to digitizing their sales process one of the challenges with it is we went through even as a sales culture like as an ecosystem we went through this evolution of a lot of content marketing inbound leads so if you really looked at the year 2010 until up until recently there were a lot of companies that amped up their inbound lead flow, which was fantastic. Challenge. Average seller wasn't meeting their sales quota attainment based on what was coming inbound. Number two, what was coming inbound, if it was a fishing analogy, these were minnows and tunas. I'm sorry, these were minnows and carp and small little fish. These were not whales. These okay. were not marlins. So spear selling, over the last couple of years, our customers really needed us to focus on account-based selling. They said, listen, our sellers are only focused on 10 accounts or 50 accounts or a geographic territory. And they need a highly targeted version of modern digital selling. So our program evolved and it evolved to help a seller say, I'm going after Microsoft. How Mm -hmm. do I win Microsoft using modern digital sales plays? And that's the impetus of spear, which is also kind of an analogy for phishing. But it yeah. stands for select plan engage activate and then either run or replace that account
0: it's nice. a kind of
1: a pragmatic process Oh,
0: wow, i love it that's awesome and i like the analogy and the, the fishing analogy as well i've got some family that are spear fishers so that's cool
1: exactly and just for a company to grow at the compounded growth rates that, that most companies need you cannot rely just on inbound so the sellers need an outbound cadence It's highly structured.
0: I see, awesome. Now, I'm curious, what inspired you to become an author for your first book, when you first became an author?
1: It was a natural transition, but I didn't know if I could do it. Uh, 2015, we had already had our curriculum inside Oracle, and one of the key decision makers to putting our curriculum in Oracle, her name is Jill Rowley, and Jill Rowley then became a channel partner to the business and later an investor in Salesforce. Life, and she was approached, because she is a thought leader on social selling, was approached by the publisher Wiley and said, can you write a book? We need a book on social selling, this emerging topic, and she said, well, I don't own the curriculum, Jamie does, why don't you talk to him, and frankly, I'm the guy that got straight D pluses in it. <laughs> in high school and university so oh, God, I I can barely write <laughs> but what I discovered is that I can I, I write like I talk and so that's
0: the it, way though that's awesome
1: and I actually had a simple process that I used for that book and then spear selling and then I'm writing another book this summer it's actually a simple process essentially uh, a lady named Jill Conrad has written many sales books love she her me, love Jill she's well, great love Jill. well Jill gave me her playbook She has a place in southern Utah, I think in Jordan, Utah, that she goes to each year, locks herself in a room for a week, and just writes, and doesn't leave until she's done. Well, in early 2016, Wiley said, uh, Wiley, the publisher, said, sure, okay, do a book. When will you have time to do it? I said, well, actually, I've got a perfect opportunity. I'm about to have knee surgery, and I'm going to be sequestered onto a couch for 10 days. So my wife actually picked me up from the hospital, drove me to our cottage, let's uh, uh, like a house on the lake, mm-hmm. bought me a case of beer and a week's <laughs> worth of groceries and a thing of Percocets, and me on the couch, and I sat there like the shining for nine days <laughs> and, wrote, and wrote Social Science Mastery. And then last summer, I sat on the dock for a week by myself, did the same thing, and I'm going to do the same thing next summer.
0: That is awesome. Wow. That is so funny. I was going to say, how how did all your spelling come out after the beers? <laughs> oh,
1: well, it's funny. After you mix beer and percocet, you, you read your work a couple of weeks later and you're like, wow, that's really horrible.
0: <laughs> like, what was it. I trying to say there? <laughs> yeah,
1: you just read it.
0: <laughs> that is so funny. Now, do you have it? I think you just mentioned you, you do have future plans, but my next question is, do you have any plans for any future books?
1: Yes. So the plan is—I've so written—social selling mastery is meant for an ecosystem around modern digital selling. Spear selling is highly targeted to sales leaders and sales professionals on a, on creating an account-based motion. And I want to focus the third book on the leader, on leaders, uh, chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers, CEOs. How do you digitize your business? Um, how do you make your your business more modern and digital? And then how do you coach and lead towards that? Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, looking forward to it. Do you know when we can expect that one?
1: I would expect it to come out in the fall. I'll write it, I'm gonna use the same time period. Uh, I'm Canadian, Canada Day is July 1st, U.S. Independence Day is July 4th. And in the sales community, that is a wash of a week that nobody around. So I'm going to lock myself in the cottage sitting on the dock for a week and write it.
0: Perfect. There you go. It sounds like you've got a whole little way that you go about this. So that's awesome. You've figured out the secret ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Now, speaking of books, uh, do you have any favorite sales or business growth books?
1: Okay. So uh, the way I'll answer this is the book that changed my life to even becoming the modern digital seller that I am, or the entrepreneur, actually was the book, The Challenger Sale. Awesome. I, and I still tell people, The Challenger Sale, while it's older now, 2011, it is the most important sales book, I believe, written in the 21st century. Now there's debates whether it's implementable and all these kind of things, but from a concept, no book opened my eyes in sales like that one. From a business book, any of your listeners who are entrepreneurs, it's not a sales book, but one that changed my business life called Profit First. Okay. Um, I own a professional services firm. I wish I had read this a long time ago, but it's a very structured way to uh, creating a profit centric company.
0: Awesome. I have not read that one. So that's a great one for the list.
1: And it has to have two versions of it. Uh, Mike Michalowicz is the author. Okay. and I think there's a more updated version. Get the updated version, I think it's fantastic.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for those recommendations, that's awesome. And I, I love the Challenger sale. so I'm glad that that was one of the ones you threw out there. Now, here at CFS, we talk quite a bit about sales playbooks and we are always looking for useful tips that our audience members can share in their own playbooks. Do you have any actionable tips that our listeners might consider throwing into their playbook? maybe a best practice or a template or a process or something like that?
1: 100%. Okay, so here's what I would do immediately. Uh, if you want to find asymmetrical competitive advantages and disadvantages in accounts, essentially, what account should I select? What account should I deselect and the emphasize If you use LinkedIn, what I want you to do is make a list of every account you want to target put them into a little search criteria. I like to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's easier for me to, to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> so under the under current company, what I'll do is I'll place the accounts that I want to actually win. And then in past company, because there's two different tabs for this, I'll actually download our entire customer database, or I'll download all of the accounts in a geographic region that might be applicable to you, or a vertical, you plug them in. It's a cross-referencing tool. What it's actually going to do is identify anybody that works inside the account you want to win, mm-hmm. who used to work at the customers you already have won. So what you're looking for has an advocate for your business up and left and moved on into an account you have yet to win. That is an asymmetric competitive advantage that a competitor can't take from you. Relationships are one of the few competitive advantages that you have. Now, That's flip awesome. Yeah. The opposite inverse to this sales play is imagine doing a search. Take a competitor's name. Take your own competitor's name. Plug them into the keyword search, or plug them into um, plug them into past company, and then also write in the current company, not, and then your competitor's name. I know that I'm giving a lot of craziness here, but. Ultimately, what you're going to do is pull a list of anyone that used to work at your competitor or has skills, certifications, or projects on their LinkedIn profile with your competitor's name on it. What you're looking for is, I think of it like Icarus flying too close to the sun. You're looking for people who are executives who are so close to your competitors that if you tried to win their business, they're just going to veto the deal. Mm-hmm. You're really looking for like a chief operating officer who used to be employed at your competitor who now works at a company you want to win. Good luck. You're never going to win that. Deal. Mm-hmm. So you can de-emphasize the time you spend on that. Deal. That's simple. These two simple exercises will change the velocity of the deals. Away.
0: That was awesome, first of all, and I think that the level of detail was so helpful for people listening. And I hope that they take that and really. List it out in their playbook and use it as a tool because you've really you've got something good there. That's a great system. I love it. Well thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, you have shared so much awesome stuff on this show today. Are is there any last words or any final wisdom that you want to share with our audience?
1: No, I mean ultimately if people want to learn more about this, um, as you put it in the show notes, you're selling. You can get it in Amazon in all the varieties, you know, hardcover, soft cover. Uh, kindle and audibles Mm -hmm. it will give you some great starting points from an account-based sales
0: perfect yeah so check those show notes we will have the book in the show notes as well as some references over to jamie so you can get more goodies from him and jamie thank you so much for being on the show today
1: well thank you so much for the invite
0: awesome and thank you to our listeners for tuning in for today's show again you can find those show notes at criteriaforsuccesscom slash pod 149 and be sure to tune in on Friday for an inspirational quote from Michael Margolis and be sure to tune in on Monday for a special episode about this month's ebook and our goal is to help and add value so please be sure to pass your feedback along to us at podcast at all month, writing about storytelling on the CFS blog. So check that out at criteria blog. Let's talk sales is a production of criteria for success and is produced by myself here, Rebecca Toomey, Arianna Miskell and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling everyone.